0: Birds, our guest today is the founder and managing director of raw coffee she's the first woman in the middle east to obtain her speciality coffee association diploma and a certified ast instructor in this episode we dig a little deeper into coffee and look at some of the threats that the coffee farmers are facing and why selecting ethical coffee is more social economical and environmentally sustainable crazy birds without any further ado i would like to welcome kim thompson hi how are you i'm doing
1: very well thank you how's everything there at raw coffee We're actually doing well. Everything's fine. I think we're getting ready for a long weekend next weekend for our national day and we've got rain forecasts. So lots of craziness up here, but it's all good. Oh, that's amazing. And so Kim,
0: you've got quite a journey and I wanted to like kind of dig right into like how your sustainable journey actually starts.
1: I'm originally from New Zealand and I've lived now for nearly 24 years, 23 and a half years in the Middle East. So I'm very used to growing up in a place where you had the the local baker and the, you know, the owner operated coffee business and cafe. And we supported those businesses without even knowing that we were lucky. There weren't the big chains um, there. And so I used to run a cafe here for a couple of years, very small cafe that was in a sailing club. And I, I I couldn't find a supplier for good coffee. And it was just one of those things where noticing the gap in the market and being naive and a little <laughs> bit crazy and brave, didn't know what I was getting myself into. But yeah, that's how, that's how we started, it was just there was a gap in the market. And I've always cared about where my food came from. I'd been a vegetarian since I was about 15 and I didn't know very much how coffee grew at the beginning, if I was completely honest, but I did know that I didn't believe in sourcing anything to eat or put in my body that was you know, treated with pesticides or chemicals.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the more you kind of dig into all of these different elements and, you know, aspects and food that we eat and everything, it's, it just, it's like a can of worms. Once you open it, you can't go back there. And I mean, that kind of led you to then start what is one of, I'm, I'm probably going to be biased when I say this, but one of the best coffees In the UAE, and that is Raw, and that was founded in Mm -hmm. 2007 by you and your business partner, Matt Too Good. Why was it important for you to
1: actually start a roastery in the UAE? Well, it was noticing that gap in the market. I honestly thought that if I was looking for good coffee and missed the coffee that I used to have at home, that there would be other people here that were like that. A lot of people were bringing in most of the coffee, or well, all of the coffee that around 2007, that was all being imported. It was all foreign businesses that were importing in bulk, and then you, were, as an as an operator, you had no support from them with regard to training or how to look after your equipment or anything. So it was a real just believing there was a gap and that there might be other people that were looking for something like. Like we were. And then we wanted to play in that niche at the top. So we weren't looking at volume. We weren't really looking at supplying hotels. We were looking at that B2C, that other consumer like us that was missing their beautiful product from home.
0: And I mean, here in Australia, where we are currently at, you know, there's, I can go to my local roastery, which is literally, I want to say about 400 meters from my front door. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's great to see that something like that in the UAE is becoming available because I felt that that was something I was kind of missing to just get a great cup of coffee. And when people look at a cup of coffee, you know, like, or normally I'm drinking coffee, but at this moment, it's a little bit late in the evening for a cup of coffee. So I'm having a tea. But, you know, for me, coffee, it's one of the first things I have in the morning. It's like literally happiness in a cup. I know that there's so much more to coffee and globally we are consuming about 2.25 billion cups of coffee every single day. The statistics
1: are crazy. I actually know because you're in Perth aren't you? So I know the Perth coffee scene really well because my three girls went to school there. So I have really beaten the track walking around trying all the different coffees down in Perth and I love that whole I think cappuccino strip in Fremantle was the first place I sat in a cafe surrounded by the older Italian men and ordered a macchiato and you know it was where honestly was my first exposure to really good you know fresh coffee.
0: Oh, I love that yeah we've got a few cappuccino strips here which I'm so thankful for and we live right up the road from one so that's that's quite quite amazing
1: Well, there's something to be said about that uh, European influence with, uh, you know, the movement from with the Italians moving into Australia because they brought that cafe culture. They brought it to New Zealand, definitely, because we were a tea drinking nation before that. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. (laughs) So it's sort of the late 1940s. When that whole market gardening and cafe scene started, and that was with the immigration after the Second World War with the Italian population when they moved into Australia and New Zealand. We've got a lot to thank them for.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I'm I'm definitely gonna thank a few of my Italian friends here in, in Australia <laughs> that I know of. And yeah, that's that's amazing. And I mean, geez, you know, coffee is just one of the most like traded commodities in the world at the moment and but it's really really so important for us to actually realize that if we just continue with business as usual there's not going to be enough good quality coffee to like keep up with with the demand and therefore it is absolutely critical you know to make sure that we source we source our coffee that is like ethically, you know, that the environment and all the applications and everything surrounding it is being considered. So what was this process for you to actually source
1: your type of coffee? When I look back to understand how we knew, you know, which niche we wanted to try and play in, we we started with like three core pillars that we wanted the coffee to be fresh, so we used local as a word. We started off with organic as a, a pillar because we felt that would indicate that there were no chemicals or pesticides or anything nasty added to the the coffee that we were going to put in our bodies, and then ethical. So we wanted to have we wanted we wanted to conduct ourselves ethically in business and our relationships and our sourcing, and in all of the relationships we have with our suppliers and customers. So. We started off that way and then the natural progression of that, honestly, was to just try and learn as much as we could about our supply chain and to make really conscious decisions about where the product came from. And 13 years down the track, it is the most important element, I think, for our DNA as a company because... I'm going to say some things that are probably going to get me in trouble, but I think all of the big franchises and companies have seen the potential of the specialty coffee market. So they, they've heard about the market share that, you know, the little boutique cafes and the local roasters that they're taking away some of their trade. So they're adopting a lot of our language with regard to, you know, ethically sourced and sustainability. And unfortunately that's just marketing. It's not true. So, it's very hard, I believe, for the end consumer to make that conscious choice. I think it's up to the roaster that's supplying the coffee to be the voice for where the coffee comes from, you know, so to care about it and to share that information.
0: Yeah, that's very true. And like, you know, I also feel that there is some sort of, you know, responsibility for for the consumers as well, because if you know that you're supporting a roastery that's not really supporting ethical standards then for me that's kind of a no go. I would just be like, you know, <laughs> your coffee is great, but it comes with a little little bit of stuff on the site that I'm not too happy with. And when we think about a lot of people might think, okay, ethically sourced. Yeah, it's 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 not that it's not that bad or it's not so bad how they live or whatever, but if we don't have ethical farmers, basically the coffee industry is not going to be the same in a few years because the majority... Oh, it's 100%. Yeah. yeah it's be- a,
1: they're very vulnerable um, exactly. as a community. And that's before this year like if you think about what it's like this year with everything that's going on you've got you've got farmers that have done everything that we've asked for um, improving the quality of what they give us so that we can you know make a better cup of coffee and the consumer will be loyal and love what we do and then if we don't buy that product because our volumes are less because the cafes we supply have closed that's got a huge flow on effect, actually. So there's a lot of challenges at the moment in the market, definitely. And I think the roasters have a huge amount of responsibility to both ends of the supply chain. So we have to look after the cooperatives and the farmers we work with, and we need to be there for the good times as well as the bad times. And then I think that to share the stories and to make the customer feel a connection with where their product comes from is a really good way of uh, helping that whole chain.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, if you just look at these farmers, if they're not being paid a fair wage, there's a few things that might stop them from just switching to another crop. But that is kind of what it would end up, you know, if they they come to a point where they financially, it does not make sense to uh, grow coffee anymore, then they might switch or they might say, listen, I'm going to sell the farm and, you know, we're no longer going to be farmers here or, you know, someone else might buy their farm and decide not to grow coffee.
1: It's a really big problem. Everywhere that we travel to, because the next generation, the young farmers that, you know, they might be in school at the moment, but they are already, you know, helping their parents on the farm. It's not an attractive life for them to want to join they want to go to cities they want the you know the access to the internet and fashion and you know they've seen how hard it is for their parents so it's definitely a problem everywhere I think when we first started traveling to Africa we saw it was a problem but it's the same problem in Central and South America you know it is very very tough way of life it looks beautiful because it's out in the most beautiful parts of the world where it's green and fertile. And, you know, for me, I go there and I, I can't understand why they wouldn't want to be there, you know, working in, in the, on the land. But then you you hear that they can't even make uh, enough money to pay for the processing of, of their product. And they have every year they have the uncertainty of not knowing who's going to buy it or what they're going to get for it. And then there's the corruption internally from the, you know, the organisations that are supposed to support them, but they don't. So, yeah, it's very, very, very tough. And that is why we moved away from that organic certification and we've moved to direct trade. That is now the single most important thing for our business, for our supply relationships, for trust, and for improving the quality of the coffee we have.
0: And I mean, when, when we talk about direct trade and stuff, it's not certified organic because I know even, you know, just buying fruit and vegetables from the local farmers, a lot of them always say to me, listen, my stuff is like grown, like as you would literally organic stuff, but it's not certified, but I don't spray, I don't use any pesticide. I just can't classify it as organic.
1: Yeah, that's exactly true. So at the beginning, we didn't know as much as we know now. I think when we would travel, I'll use uh, Ethiopia as an example. So they would have to pay the equivalent of 200 US dollars a year to get the certification to be organic. But it didn't increase the pound or the kilo pricing that they could get for their beans. And it limited actually the buyers that were going, you know, the type of buyer that would purchase their product so as we started going to the farms and we could test the soil and test the water and make sure you you know that the women had a voice and that the children went to school and that they had fresh water we could make that choice ourselves because we were on the ground we didn't need a broker in the middle or a certification so This is actually quite common now with a lot of the better roasters around the world that rather than going to trade shows or competitions, they will now strengthen their supply chain by going to the countries they purchase their coffee from and and forming direct relationships where you commit to the amount of coffee you will buy year on year. You agree to a price, you can offer pre-financing so that they have that peace of mind. It's beneficial for both of us.
0: That's something really that we need to like look at as well, and I always try to see where obviously my stuff is is from, but mm-hmm. there's definitely been a lot of greenwashing, like you've mentioned previously, you know, with people would use a few keywords and just like brand or label stuff like eco or they kind of sidestep a lot of actual points. And and that kind of has an effect on a lot of stuff. And one of the things that for me is so key with coffee is like the climate change, you know, as the more the climate change, it has an effect on coffee. You know, those coffee, it really flourish in a specific soil, in a specific climate. You know, if it's hot or if it's cold, it has an effect because these coffee plants are so prone to disease and it can just literally plummet the yields. So how do you guys then kind of work together with these farmers to make sure that they kind of do little adapting to kind of accommodate the effects of climate change in the future?
1: Yeah, you, you, what you're saying is absolutely correct. You only need a couple of degrees of difference in temperature. And the Roya and the leaf rust, the coffeeberry disease, it's devastating. They can lose the whole crop or, you know, for over a, over a crop, they might lose 38% just because the rains have been late. So it is a incredible challenge. They're used to it. And the actual, as crazy as it sounds, they... They know that a lot of the farmers know, they'll know that it's going to be a good year or they'll know that this year is not going to be a great year. And they have to hope that at the same time that they're having a a good year, that the economy is at the right place so that there's not, you know, overproduction in Brazil. So the prices drop out from everything, Mm. but it goes in waves I think uh, sharing knowledge is a really important thing. So if we see something work in one place to be able to share that knowledge to the others, if they, because a lot of the farmers don't have internet, they don't have access to information. So, you know, I think it's definitely sharing knowledge and trying to, because we're not farmers and we're not producers, but we have the luxury of traveling, traveling a lot to these different places. So we might see African drying beds in Africa that can be made in Myanmar or Colombia using some bamboo. And, you know, it's something that can, be, can make a very big difference to how clean the coffee tastes at the end. Uh, it's cooperatives rather than, you know, individual farmers.
0: When it comes to like coffee as well and the locations of coffee, I was very interested to actually find out that they call this like coffee area, so wherever, like the, the bean belt and it, it consists of quite a few different countries where the majority of the coffee beans comes from. So I wanted to check like where, where do you guys normally get your beans from?
1: We're very lucky living where we do. We're quite close to Africa like we can be on, jump on a plane and within 4 hours we're in Ethiopia or Rwanda. So we get coffee from uh, Burundi, Rwanda, Ethiopia, lots from Ethiopia. We have lovely coffee from Yemen. It's hard to get but we get it, you know, just a couple of sacks at a time. We bring in coffee from all over Colombia, Guatemala, Peru, Nicaragua, Mexico. We have some coffee from El Salvador, Costa Rica, in small amounts actually. And then we have a very lovely relationship with a village in Myanmar. And we've had coffee from Sumatra and Indonesia. We're looking at some coffee at the moment from Timor, East Timor, Timor Leste. So anywhere on that coffee belt, if we get samples of coffee that are good enough quality we will consider purchasing it as a guest coffee and then we have from the colombia ethiopia rwanda burundi mexico guatemala they're our main countries
0: oh awesome and i mean people can go on your website and just have a look at all the different coffees or even better come to your cafe in in
1: alcoz and you know try a few of them as well I think that's what's nice is that you a lot of people just drink their coffee with milk. You know, they love a flat white. And so we we've created blends that work with the water and the milk here, because obviously though those two ingredients are important as well. And then if you want to try the different flavours and the different varietals that come from those different countries, it's a great way of doing it going into the roaster and just asking them if they can make you a like a brewed coffee with and you don't put any other ingredients with it, and that's where you can really try your. Your,
0: uh, beautiful flavors. Oh, awesome. I love that. And so you guys have also like single origin coffees, but then again, like you mentioned, you you've got the blends as well. So people can really just kind of find something that works for them.
1: Yeah, there's no right or wrong with what you like. Coffee is just like any other food or drink that there'll be some things you really love the flavour of and then there'll be other people that prefer to have a, a, a darker roast with less acidity, more nutty chocolate flavours. It's just what what's your personal preference. That's so trying to please everybody.
0: <laughs> you also have a blend there which I found very interesting, the name, which was the Working From Home Blend. Was this inspired by...?
1: What, what's happening now? Yeah, well, it was actually originally called the Working Blend. So all of our blends were named after a, a style of clothing. So we had Working, Black Tie, LBD for Little Black Dress. We had, we've had we had Boho and Casual. Our 10-year um, anniversary one is Vintage. So it was all about a style of clothing, and we just thought it was a play on words to change it from working to working from home because obviously this year's been a bit crazy and... It was a very easy thing to change. We were having a we were laughing at the name basically. Oh,
0: I love it. It's it's very it's a very clever one. And I'm sure a lot of people are enjoying that blend working from home.
1: I hope so. Actually it's been crazy the the switch in the company because we like eighty percent of our business was supplying B2B cafes. It's now more like fifty percent. To people at home and 50% to cafes because since March, April, some of our customers, our commercial partners, they didn't reopen. The demographic of the spread of our um, supply has changed.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. And I mean, for me, like even even in our house, I don't know. you just I feel you can't put a price on a really good cup of coffee. So I'm willing to pay like a premium just to have that good cup of coffee in the morning to know that I'm good to go. And you know, I think the more people realize how much, that coffee's actually costing you versus going to your local favorite cafe. You know, you're going you're gonna to pay a few bucks for a good coffee and now you can have that good coffee at home as well.
1: Yes. So, I think the the online sales for bags of coffee to people's homes has definitely increased. Also, the domestic equipment, so the grinders and the home espresso machines, but also the little hand grinders and the brewing equipment. And we invested in some virtual barista training uh, sessions. So, I think people did. When they started making their sourdough bread and their banana bread when we're all in quarantine and lockdown. They also played around learning how to make coffee. And that's been great for us because how can you go from that back to drinking an inferior cup of coffee? So it's better that they make their coffee themselves at home.
0: Yeah, totally agree. And I mean, you guys literally do everything coffee wise, you know, you supply machines, you do like you've mentioned the barista training courses, geez, you also have food, you, you've, you do some amazing breakfast as well. So all of our crazy bits in the UAE, I, I would highly recommend go and check it out. But like, can you
1: tell us a little bit more, like what is the full package of raw raw? I think when when I started, I think I mentioned it at the beginning that I was very naive. So I didn't understand all of the complexities and the variables that you had to control to make a good cup of coffee. So I thought the most important thing was the the quality of the beans that we purchased and then roasting it carefully and, and then obviously grinding it the right size fresh and making it. But actually, it's more than that. It's not like you can take the cork out of a bottle and then enjoy it, and it's going to be the same experience for everybody, you know, as long as they've got the temperature right or, or, the, or the right glass. But coffee, you need to, it needs to be correctly treated water. It's a very big part of it. And our water here is desalinated. So we do have perfectly acceptable drinking water coming through the tap but it's not going to make the coffee taste good it's going to make the coffee taste bitter so we had to learn about how to treat our own water and how to play with the different um, chemicals in that water and what made the coffee taste good it also helped us to learn how to look after the equipment maintain the equipment to keep it healthy because our guys were always maintaining all the espresso machines, and we would be dealing with situations where people hadn't changed their pre-filter, or there was a problem with the water. We also then have the problem with the cows here, not outside on you know beautiful green rolling hills. Uh, they're in a different type style of farming, so the the milk protein levels are different. And then in, in New Zealand and Australia and lots of other parts of the world, it was really cool to want to be a barista and be working in the coffee industry. Whereas here, it was slow to start that trend. It's caught up now, but people would arrive in the UAE, they just needed a job. So it would have to be trying to teach them to have that respect or passion for the for the product and teach them to drink something that they hadn't ever been exposed to and then you know care about the experience they gave the customer so there's a lot of there's a lot of variables to control if you're doing it commercially
0: just to go a step back on that raw water i hear that's actually what you guys are calling your water how is that treated because i know it's really important to know that literally 99% of what goes in a cup of coffee is actually water so i would love to hear how
1: you do that. My business partner, Matt, and and I have lived in the Middle East for quite a long time now. And we have been very lucky because we've grown very organically. We've taken a lot of time getting to know the coffee part of our industry and we've met a lot of really cool people and through that process we had a consultant accountant from Germany one time who knew the people that were responsible for the very big water filtration plants at some of our big developments here and so we brought them in and over-caffeinated them and forced them to create a small solution for us basically, which they thought was crazy because it cost a lot of money, but it was so important to us that we we knew that we couldn't just use your standard reverse osmosis unit that were available here to buy because it wasn't filtering out all of the impurities that we needed to have taken out of our water because they would always just do a bypass which allowed a certain amount of the tap water to come around the side if you know what I mean there's a there's these really fine membranes they force the water through but then it also when it strips everything it also takes away some of the good uh, the calcium the magnesium you know the things that you need in the water so as we learned more about it and the this company came and did the water filtration system for us it's actually a treatment plant we then have been able to start, well, we use it ourselves and then we use it at the espresso bar. We allow, We have a tap on our back warehouse wall, so a lot of our customers come with great big, I don't know how big they are, 50-litre containers and they fill up their own water to take home. We're happy to do that. We have just created our own smaller units that we're going to start installing into our cafe customers' locations because we understand now the incredible importance of water.
0: So that's definitely something that I'm going to look out for in the future as well. And when it just comes to like your coffee beans, I mean, you guys roast it on site. So I've been to a few roasteries in the past, but they might be some of our crazy birds that have never seen a roastery. Can you explain to us kind of what is the process from when those bags of beans arrive to like... Where it's ready to actually drink as a cup of coffee, we usually get a
1: sample sent to us before the shipment leaves the country. So let's just say Myanmar, we get we got the sample yesterday for new season crop, and today we sample roasted that coffee. We then tomorrow will cup that coffee, and then we'll confirm that we'll take that order. Then we they'll they'll send us the sales contract. We'll we'll transfer the payment. The coffee beans will come to us. We usually um, bring them in on an air-conditioned 20-foot container, sometimes 40 foot depending on which country it is from. We then receive the beans. Hopefully it doesn't take too long to get to us. We have a, a big walk-in chiller that all of our sacks of coffee go, go in that chiller because we've discovered that the embryo of the coffee seed stays really fresh and premium if it's kept at about 17 degrees. A seed that's only picked once a year by the way. So you you buy it, let's let's say some countries will be ready for us in February or March. By the time it gets to us it might be April or May and that's the coffee we have for the year from that country. So you know you have to predict what you're going to need for your sales. We usually buy the coffee knowing whether it's going to be a coffee that is uh, in smaller volume to be done as a, you know, a a beautiful brewed single origin coffee. Or whether it's a coffee that's one of our main coffees that goes into the blends that all the cafes are taking to make their flat whites and their cappuccinos. We then take the green bean and we we roast them by single origin. So we have four roasters in our roasting room and depending on the capacity of coffee that we need at the time, we have days where we'll roast for certain either single origins or blends. It takes about 13 minutes to roast 15 kilos of coffee and we pop it in. It's like a big rotating drum and it's driven by gas and electricity and it's a combination of convection, heat and also conduction heat so there's airflow and the time against the metal drum and if you think of a green coffee bean it's like a peanut it's got a lot of oil in it so as the chemical process happens as you roast it it changes color from green to brown the density of the bean uh, lessens so we lose about 15 to 17 percent of weight as we roast it and all of the sugars caramelize which give you that amazing coffee flavor We then rest the coffee overnight because a a process of the roasting is degassing and that's usually carbon dioxide. And then the, the day after we've roasted, we will either use that coffee to create the recipe for the blend or we'll bag it as a single origin. And we usually then rest the coffee if we're going to use it for espresso. It's usually good around 10 days, 10 to 21 days is its peak Some of the natural processed coffees are good after a month after we've roasted them. And if you're brewing it, you could sort of brew it a couple of days later so it's always really fresh. And then everything we do, we do in smaller volumes so that we just have what you need for one week. So if we were delivering to you at home, we would just give you one little bag that you would have for each week. So it's never – you don't try and give 100 kilos to a cafe. You give them what they need for one week. And then they're always working with the same freshness of product.
0: Okay. wow, that's very interesting because that's one of the things that I was going to ask you as well is like, you know, how frequently do we need to buy our beans? Because some people would be like, oh, I just buy like, you know, a few kilos in the beginning of the month and then I'm good to go. Whereas I actually go every single week and just buy enough so that it fills up our coffee machine, then I don't store any beans at all anymore just because, I mean, I'm so close to the the roastery. I can just walk whenever I need
1: more. I think that's the ideal situation, you know, keeping – they do degrade. They're very – like, it's like a, an apple when you cut it and oxidises. Beans absorb a lot of moisture from the air and with temperature change. So putting in them in the freezer used to be something I remember, you know, my grandparents used to do, but it's not what you do. It's better just to buy – like you – I think everything's moving back to – buying your bread from the baker and getting your meat from the butcher and getting your coffee from your local roaster i think that's the way to go for everything you know you it's fresh it's it's definitely important
0: definitely and i mean what i've been doing is literally i just take a small little produce bag like a cloth one that's how i go to the roastery and they just fill it up they're happy to use my bag and I just come home, pour it directly into the coffee machine, wash the bag, and then next week it's the same story. We've got some tins
1: that we give out, and that's that's the idea as well, so that we don't have to use the packaging. Lots has changed in the industry. Like, we were able to move all of our takeaway cups and Disposables to non-plastics so it's all cellulose and biodegradable fully but the the actual lining inside the coffee bag I'm sure it's going to come soon but at the moment we haven't been able to move away from that in a foil bag it's something we really want to do and we're looking at different suppliers I'm sure it will come but because the oil on the bean it's I don't know if you've noticed with your bag when you've changed it then that you can get that oil on the bag that's what we want to try and keep that oil inside the bean and not have that exposed to the air
0: exactly yeah. Cause I mean, for me, literally the coffee is probably in there for maybe five or 10 minutes. <laughs> so, but if you're going to keep it like in there for hours and hours and hours and days, then, you know, that, that might be a little bit of a bigger issue. You've just like kind of mentioned like some of the steps that's happened in the industry and how do you feel has the industry actually evolved since you guys started way back in 2007?
1: It's been, uh, the last five years particularly has been very rapid. I think we used to say that we were a good seven or eight years behind, you know, Melbourne, um, we see, and it's very sad to say, but we see Melbourne as the capital of the cafe industry for the whole world. And as a Kiwi, that's a terribly hard thing to say. Um, they're well ahead, I think, <laughs> of New Zealand. <laughs> um, you know, and London and, you know, San Francisco. I think people think of America as a country that's, you know, all those big, ugly franchises. But actually, there's some very good coffee businesses there and some very good roasters. So we used to see that we were a long way behind here, but I think the last five years particularly there's been a very big growth and I think there, you know, when we first started we used to have, customers that were very angry with us because they were used to the 16 ounce cup and you know these great big cups and they didn't understand what we were trying to do and they were used to syrups and other things that were in their drink and we would have to say please don't add sugar just try this it's, it's different it shouldn't taste bitter and I think we were the first specialty coffee roasters in the Middle East and I think now in the UAE with our you know small population there's 56 So it's a very big growing industry at the moment. There's a lot of very small roasters that are part of a cafe or something, but it's lovely because there's so much interest in it. And as a region, we have a very long history with coffee.
0: Yeah, wow, that's phenomenal. I mean, just the the time that I was there, it was amazing to see how it's grown. So I'm super excited about that and so proud of all the work that you guys have been doing you know leading the way because definitely I'm sure it was not as easy in 2007 acid is well now you've got the pandemic to deal with but yeah you guys have done really an
1: amazing job well I think it's fun now like we have the knowledge we we're concentrating a lot on running a strong business now we've got the coffee under control and I think it's hard everywhere. You know, this year has been completely unexpected, but we have a very good ability to rebound from this and recover from this. So we are very optimistic. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So
0: you are surrounded by coffee every single day and the aromas Mm -hmm. and everything. So how many cups of coffee do you drink
1: a day? I don't drink as many as the others. I You said you are having a cup of tea because it's too late. I'm the same in the evenings, and I actually start my day with a cup of tea. Um, I also love beautiful, you know, tea, like really good artisan tea. I would have probably um, two double espressos and maybe two brewed coffees, and I don't think that's a lot considering, you know, I'm here from 8 a.m. to 6 a.m. most days. So it's not a huge amount of coffee, but a lot of my team drink a lot more than that.
0: Oh, I can imagine. Just like being in that aroma. Well, one thing you might kind of love it, or you might after, you know, years of the smell and unlimited coffee, you might not like coffee as much as you you did like when you started out, you know, just drinking as much as you can. So that's quite quite an interesting one. Oh no, I do. I do. I think it's
1: more that I really like the quality of what I have rather than the volume. I savor it because even as you, you know, you might start having a pour over a V60 or a Chemex, it changes as, the flavours change as it cools. So I kind of just take the time to savor it. And I think, you know, like everybody with lockdown and quarantine, we all got used to making it ourselves back at home again. It was just took it all back to basics really.
0: Amazing. So, Kim, what has been one of your most important decisions that you've made around Mama Earth?
1: I would have to say that it is to invest in women because I think gender equity in coffee is a really big thing. We have uh, more than 90% of the workforce is female. They don't always have, have access to the finances for the farm. They don't always have a voice when there are meetings, they don't often get included when there might be some trainings or something like that. So I think it's to invest in women because I think the women are the key to sharing the knowledge with the next generation and making sure the money goes to the right things within the family. They also usually care about how they grow their food for their families, uh, In the countries that we buy from, the women are are pivotal to the success of coffee and the community.
0: Oh, awesome. Well, that's, that's definitely something to think about for the future as well. Hey, Crazy Birds, before we move on to this interview, I wanted to take a little break and just say thank you. Thank you for all of you guys that listen to every single podcast episode. I honestly, I really appreciate it. You guys are the reason why I keep on going and I just wanted to take a moment just to say thank you. If this episode or any of the previous episodes kind of really resonated with you, please do share it with a friend or family member that you think would love it too. Like I would really appreciate the support as it really helps people to find the Mama Earth Talk podcast and If you have already made a review, like rate and reviewed the podcast, thank you so much. If not, and you've really loved an episode, please go and just rate and review. Let me know, like send me a a message on Instagram. I would love to hear about you and just like kind of thank you. Just as a thank you for you guys for listening to the podcast, I just wanted to mention that, you know, I would love to give to you guys my free ebook that's going to help you on this journey to kind of reduce your waste even, even more. And I'm going to place a link of this in the show notes. It's also on my Instagram account at design by Mariska. So you can just head on over there as well. So thank you for listening to the podcast and for just being part of this community. You guys are amazing and I absolutely love and appreciate all of you guys. Now let's dig right back into that final five. So the first one is what is one social media account or
1: publication that you follow? I have been following David Attenborough since he started. I think it's an incredible story at his age and look at the reach and how fast he reached everybody. I love that story. Oh, I, I love him too.
0: He's just been phenomenal. And the amount of stuff that he's actually accomplished is just, yeah, He's he's such an incredible human. And Kim, what is your
1: hope for Mama Earth going forward? I'm a grandmother and I hope my grandchildren can swim in an ocean that isn't full of plastic, that they can... Eat food that's grown, like, you know, picked from the farm or garden and that they get to experience what a tomato is supposed to taste like. It's You know, for things to go back to a little bit more of that village mentality and that they have quality of ingredients, I'm fearful but hopeful. I feel like this is a, I'm hoping there's going to be a change because it's all got a bit crazy.
0: And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? I
1: think trying to take the time to recycle and and to feel like the things that you do, even though they're little, are making a difference. You know, taking your own bags when you buy your shopping and all those little things that sometimes when you're stressed or busy you wonder if it's actually making a difference I don't know if you've heard stories here where they say oh it's not worth doing all that separation of your recycling because they just put it all in one truck you're just wasting your time but I like to believe it it is worth it and it does make a difference so I think you know making conscious choices. And what
0: is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? If
1: we as a roaster don't buy sustainably sourced ethically sourced direct trade coffee those farmers like you were saying earlier on they have to survive they will pull out their coffee tree they will grow cut they will grow anything else because they 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 barely survive anyway so by supporting a local roaster who's who's sourcing their product sustainably you're definitely making a difference And for us, we were able to, I'll go back to Myanmar again, they were able to 2.6 times the money per kilo that they earned by us buying their product the way we were instead of them selling it as a cash crop at market. So it makes a huge difference to the farmers and it's the only way we'll end up being able to drink good coffee, otherwise everything is going to go to the big commercial, very mundane quality.
0: That's something definitely we need to keep in mind as well. And, Kim, where can people actually find you?
1: I'll be it raw. <laughs> <laughs> Having a coffee. <laughs> we, are, we are really busy at the moment. Um, We are open seven days a week. We are in, uh, in a warehouse in our clothes. We built our roastery here uh, 18 months ago. We are on Google Maps and very close to the Norbeck metro station. Okay.
0: Awesome. And all of your social media handles and everything, I'm going to link that all up in the show notes, but if you can maybe just give us a social handle so people can kind of grab it while they listen. RawCoffeeCompany.com.
1: And then Instagram is coffee. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Well, you've been an absolute blast. I know now a lot more about coffee and I'm just going to, you know, savor the next cup to make sure I appreciate (laughs) all of the work that goes into it. So thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you for sharing the information. It's really important. I think platforms like this are so valuable and thanks for asking us.
0: And that's a wrap huge thank you for our amazing guests for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us you can find the show notes of this episode on the mamaearthtalk.com's website the biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast if you have not already listened to all of the episodes you can go back to a few of them you will absolutely love them i really enjoyed recording every single one of them and i really hope that you enjoy listening to them there's over a hundred episodes so if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there if you enjoy the episodes Why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best place would probably be a DM on Instagram at Mariska. Or pop me an email at hello at MamaEarthTalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday. So make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.